Hello, Jordan. What's going on, Michael? Back in New York City for a big, big month of March. The team is back together again. We are back in person. No more Skype. No more internet issues. No more connectivity. I don't know what that means. <laughs> connectivity issues. Connectivity Because the last time we tried recording this, we got about five minutes in, and then your service was bad, and then you uh -huh. went on full monkey tilt. And you're like, we're doing this next week. <laughs> no, it wasn't even like the internet actually went down in the complex that oh, we were staying in. Got it. Because got it. my girlfriend was on a work call and that crashed. And I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. We did an unplug replug. That didn't work. It was probably a half hour to 45 minutes before it was up and running again. So that's not why we're back here, but it's it's one of the benefits. We're back here to finish we our haven't, book. We haven't done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To finish the book. Keep forgetting <laughs> <laughs> we have an intense writing schedule this month yeah the month of march is going to be i'm going to be in jordan's apartment every single day just banging the drums and by that he means forcing me to really sit down to write. <laughs> a j and a p we got i i sent you that nice long email that a podcast listener shared saying how much he enjoys the mm, basically the, really the nice. show in yeah. general but he he commented on the introvert extrovert interplay between us which i thought was funny <laughs> how's uh how's it feel to be back in new york terrible <laughs> <laughs> city sure ain't what it used to be <laughs> uh, just the brutal honesty you know i i mean i'm a vitamin d guy mm -hmm. we, we know that and i was down in south florida and in in a place that had more space and now I'm back here, but back here for a purpose, for a reason, and I'm excited about being in person. I'm already enjoying the podcast more in person, yeah, face to face. And uh, I'm a member at Jordan's home gym, the Cave mm -hmm. workout number one later today. Um, so yeah, it feels good to be back. How are, are you? Do you do the workout after the podcast? How's that going to work? Probably later today. Cool. I'm thinking we wrote the whole workout down yesterday. We got. Should I, should I read the workout? Read the workout. Just a, a quick little workout. A little upper body work. All superset base. So we're going to superset weighted push-ups with sandbag rows. I like the sandbags. Yeah, me too. I like the sandbags a lot. I think those are super underrated in most gyms. Es especially, I mean, for a lot of things, but I really like them for weighted push-ups. Yeah. Yeah. It's just comfortable to put on top of you and like- mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, like the weight plates, they'll fall off. It'll be weird, but the sandbags are they're stable and they're comfortable. Same for hip thrusts as well, by the way. Yeah, with the hip thrusts are really good, especially like a single leg hip thrust with a sandbag. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, next superset, just kettlebell row, and then you can hear the sirens outside. This is another. This is I think for me that's like the the number one thing I don't like about New York is like the sirens outside. Last night I, I put up on my story at like 11 p.m. They were drilling right outside the window. Just like, it's always loud. Ah. It's just, did you hear that? I slept through it, but <laughs> someone else didn't. <laughs> Wasn't pumped this morning. Uh, all right. Next super set, kettlebell rows, eight per arm with dumbbell overhead press standing, right? Single arm. Yep. Or eight per arm. Then the last super set, not a crazy, crazy intense workout. Uh, alternating curls by 10 with a band pull apart by 15. This is, I think this is a good example of like just doing a workout to get a good workout and not because like we're trying to. Dude, the thing is, even if I was like four months into a bulk, yeah, I I think I would maybe be doing six to eight more sets than this within a workout. But mm. but this isn't that far off of a volume that I can, you know, at 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 least four days a week that I can mm -hmm. maintain muscle in a deficit or build muscle in. I, I think that's something that goes often overlooked is the it's relatively easy to maintain muscle. Right. Mm -hmm, like you mm -hmm. don't like you can significantly reduce volume and still maintain it. Like I think a lot of people would hear that workout be like, that's like, what is that? Six exercises? Like it's not that much. Like it's not that many reps per muscle group. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's the cool part about at least maintaining muscle. Like you can reduce volume and maintaining muscle is relatively easy. To gain, obviously we would need a little bit more on a weekly basis, but like even you said it's not that far off from what you would do even if you were in a gaining phase. Yes. And and a lot of people I have found who really like high volume workouts 
are nowhere near failure on their set. Yeah. Yep. Or or they are near failure and the reason is because they have a 75 minute workout with almost no rest because they're getting so much volume from just this move, this move, this move, yeah. this move, just, just jamming it all in at a weight so far away from their one rep max. Like I plan on you putting that 65 pound sandbag on my back later today and, and banging out those pushups with nice tempo. And that's just, that's a fundamentally different workout than double the volume with less intensity. Yeah. And you prefer the higher intensity, lower volume style workouts. Yeah, we could say that. Although I don't even know if it's subjective. I, I think I prefer it because the research prefers it. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, it's more comfortable. Like I would rather do one or two high intensity sets mm-hmm. and then be done as opposed to like eight lower intensity, higher volume sets. Not Not only just because the research shows it, but also because like joint health like the the yeah. risk of injury is significantly lower mm. um mentally it's mm. i can psych myself up for one or two sets but if i've got eight sets ahead of me six sets ahead of me like that's that sucks yeah we're not we're not at points in our life when we're going to do <laughs> eight <laughs> sets of the same exercise consistently month after month year after not year not like that 22 year old high t anger so angry <laughs> anger is such a good mo- nice segue because i have been not angry whatsoever recently and uh, it's just funny to me how how connected that has been historically to creative output mm. and and effort in general. Like it doesn't have to be obviously, but for both of us historically, we have used anger for to to create something, something to prove, like yeah. trying to show everyone Chip like- on your shoulder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, and it definitely has a place, but life is much more calm without it. Yeah. It's like much more relaxing. Sleep in a little bit, get your sleep, Mm -hmm. like enjoy your morning coffee as opposed to wake up and just like rage. I think in (laughs) in the last (laughs) wake up to an alarm at 4 30 and just be angry. And just dive in your DMs looking for people to argue with. (laughs) (laughs) You and I have both I mean, you're, we talked about this in the last few months at some point, but your sleep game over the last 12 to 18 months is drastically different than, let's say, during those three years with Gary. Oh, my God. But even my, my sleep over the last month, because I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, and I usually jinx myself when I talk about something that I'm doing in, in public and then just stop. But in the last month, I've brought my caffeine down to unbelievably low levels for me meaning half a cup of homebrewed coffee per day wow. no, no pre-workout like no coffee later in the day so it's kind of just maybe 80 milligrams per day mm-hmm. whereas for a decade i was probably realistically averaging close to 400 which yeah you know the the recommended dosage for or the recommended maximum daily dosage for heart health um and i'm sleeping nine or 10 hours a night, every single night, like a baby. That's awesome. And I feel great. And uh, yeah, but, but I think there's something to having high caffeine sensitivity for me personally that makes that. Yeah. Like you can have a cup of coffee at 9 PM and be oh, asleep at 10. I could have a double espresso at, at 10 and be asleep by 10, 20. Yeah. Like, yeah, no question about it. But yeah, you've always been much more sensitive to caffeine than I have. Uh-huh. Like, and, and you've said like you drink caffeine and like you feel it, like your heart goes crazy. And like uh-huh. for me, I'm like, I drink caffeine. It's like drinking water. It's like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because I've adapted to it. It's just because like I've always been that way. Like I've always, like even when I first started drinking coffee, like I think the there are some coffees that I have that I'll get like a real buzz off. But like ever since I was young, like I I never got, it was rare for me to get that. Mm -hmm. I think the the first time I actually really started to feel that was if the first time I tried like a Red Bull, then I was like, oh, okay. I was just going to say you've, you've, I think you texted me in the last several months and hadn't had a Red Bull in a while. (sighs) Yeah. Because we kind of switched over to Monster and you were like, Red Bull just hits different. Yeah, it really does. Like, I don't know why. And a, a normal can of Red Bull like the standard size can they sell in the store is 84 milligrams. And even the big Red Bull is like, I want to say 120 milligrams, whereas a Monster is 
140 a bang is 300 like legion pulse is 350 so there's there's other things in it for sure because it's it's I get the tiny, like, I don't get Red Bull really, but when I did, I would get the small one. The no, yeah. Yep. But there's something else in it that I think really hit as opposed to the caffeine. Yeah. So you're accusing Red Bull of putting illegal substances in their beverages. <laughs> what else do they put in there? There, It's not just caffeine, is it? I, I actually don't know. I don't think it's just caffeine because Monster isn't just caffeine either. Monster, they've got a whole bunch of other stuff. They've got taurine, right? They've got- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's Red Bull that has taurine. Interesting. I don't know. Need to look that up. Yeah. But yeah, Red Bull hits different for sure. But and and I would give this. I actually have a client who I recently. I mean, he historically is on like seven hundred milligrams <laughs> per day. And if this some is something like caffeine dosage that you've never really looked at, it, it's worth looking at if you're someone who drinks a lot of coffee and caffeinated beverages in general, because mm-hmm. you know a, a large Starbucks coffee is 440 milligrams, which is a lot. If you're having a large coffee in the morning and then maybe you're having a latte or an energy drink mm. or pre-workout or something later in the day, you're pushing six, 700 milligrams per day. And that's what this client was was ingesting. And, Interesting. And, you know, but sleeping. sleep off? No, not to him because he's he's a grinder. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's my tax guy. Got Tyler, it. Tyler McBroom. Yep. And, uh, and... I think he probably sleeps six, maybe five to six, but it's just, he's going all day. He's got a family, he's doing all, you know, he's running a business. Um, but when we did reduce caffeine a bit, his sleep quality improved and the amount of sleep he was getting improved mm-hmm. some. And uh, and then hunger was down a little bit, like it became easier for him to be in a calorie deficit. It sounds obvious when you say it like that, but it is like, a lot of people are like, I really struggle with sleep. I really struggle with sleep. And they've never tracked caffeine. Yeah. I think a lot of people are having way more than they think they are. Yeah. Right. So calories, they, they, they've never tracked it. They don't realize like, well, I'm having this coffee here. I'm having this Starbucks one. I'm having whatever this is. Like mm-hmm. it could quickly add up. And and for many, you know, if you're like Jordan, it probably doesn't affect you. Although you have even said you don't drink, like you enjoy caffeine, but you're not slamming tons of caffeine all day for the energy like i usually don't finish a full coffee it's like it's funny because my girlfriend will be like uh she'll be like you just leave your coffees around the house and i do that with all my drinks like with like literally with everything waters seltzers cranberry juice coffee everything i just leave it around the house i'll have a few sips then i'll put it down and for me if i get a hot coffee and then it gets like lukewarm i'm done with it Mm -hmm. and i feel like heating it up i don't it just doesn't taste the same like once it's already like like sort of warm, I'm done. So like, I'll maybe drink a quarter of it to a half. And then sometimes I'll have like two or three of those a day, but like that adds up to about one cup. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like downing tons of coffee. Which is interesting because you do that because you enjoy it. The taste, the feel, the the, The smell of it. I really like the smell and the taste a lot. You're not like a- I'm not chasing a high. Yeah. You don't need that for the the output that comes with it. Correct. Yeah. It's not like- putting gas in a car to function. Like you you could not have coffee during the day and still do all your work. Yeah, there are some days where I'll go like just without trying. I just don't even notice it or I just won't have a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting for this next YouTube video. Yeah, you're only drinking coffee for 24 hours. So I'll eat regularly. Everything else will be regular. But the only beverage that I'm going to allow myself to drink is coffee because – I still get, it's one of the most contested things that whenever I talk about on social media, I'm like, yeah, coffee doesn't actually dehydrate you. People lose their shit. And so I'm like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to do it for 24 hours. And I'm sure some people are going to find flaws in it, but I actually, I already interviewed Spencer Nadolsky for mm-hmm. the video. We did like a Skype call that I interviewed him and um, I got his hypothesis on what's going to happen and why. And then uh, I got his, because the main concern that I had was, are people going to be upset with my measurement of hydration? Because the way I'm measuring hydration is my pee. Mm-hmm. So like I went on Amazon and I got these like these like specimen cups. So I'm gonna pee into these cups. Oh, not just so, not just pee color, but like there's a hydration test. No, it's you, just pee color. I see. But, I but see. Okay. I don't want to piss in my like kitchen cups. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just gonna do it in the toilet and then look at the. No, but I, it has to be on camera for people to see it. I okay. So, I'm with so, you. <laughs> and I'm not gonna be like, oh, oh, there was my penis. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. 
You know, just just watch this like stream go into the toilet. Oh, man. <laughs> These are all things that this morning as I'm planning the video, I'm thinking about like, all right, just as in terms of the shot of this, I can't just like take the video and just show the stream shooting into the toilet. So I got these clear cups and, uh, and I was actually, I was talking to Spencer. I was like, is this a legitimate way to measure hydration? He was like, honestly, yeah. He's like, he's like, there are other ways, but they all, they're all like, there are flaws to it. And he's like, if we're talking about measuring hydration for athletic performance, it would be different. He's like, mainly because such a, a teeny tiny reduction in in hydration can radically affect athletic performance. Like 3% reduction in hydration can really negatively affect athletic performance in a sport. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just measuring hydration status for an individual on a day-to-day basis, like pea color is actually a very accurate way to do that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what, what color is your pea normally? My pea is, it's usually not just like clear, but it's usually like a mix of like it's lemonade. Yeah. Like light lemon, like light lemonade. It's not like yellow. Um, Interesting. It's like light lemonade. I never thought we'd talk about that on the podcast, but yeah. Light. I think I've talked about that in articles. Oh, really? Yeah. What's your pea color? Uh, between light lemonade and fresh lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes it does push clear. I mean, I'm a big water guy. Yeah. You're I, a big water I guy. I feel so yeah. good. When sometimes I'm it's clear, hydrated. but not always. Like if it's always clear, I feel like you're peeing all the time, like you're drinking nonstop, like to, for it to be always clear, that's tough. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And probably not a goal. I, yeah, you know, lemonade is kind of that. What you don't want is dark. Yeah. I think of like, I think of the urinals in my middle school, <laughs> like, you know, that just <laughs> reeked and no one flushed them ever for whatever reason. So there's just, just like brown, dark, piss like <laughs> syrup in these urinals and uh it's just not good no not not good at all and this was before football practice middle school football and yep. so you have all these dehydrated kids out there in in the you know 70 80 degree heat yep. like i just remember the when when i was wrestling and i would purposely dehydrating myself in order to make weight and like the trying as hard as I could to push out a little bit of pee just to reduce my weight more for competition, the color of my pee then, like the little bits that would come out was mm-hmm. just dark, mm-hmm. just like legit dark. And uh, I was exhausted and my I was lightheaded and like it just wasn't good. So it'll be interesting to, uh, Spencer was saying that his prediction is he doesn't think the color of my pee is going to change at all. He's like, he's like, as long, I told him, I think the hardest part about it is going to be actually forcing myself to drink that much coffee because I'm going to do jujitsu. I'm going to strength train that day. I'm going to like probably get a little workout in. And like, I'm the only thing I'm going to be able to drink is coffee. I did ask him, I was like, do you think it's okay if I have iced coffee? And he was like, I don't see why not. Because even if you're not having iced coffee, it's again, just water filtered through a bean. I, I, I'm, would be completely fine with coffee versus iced coffee. I don't see a difference. There. Yeah. 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 What are you measuring it against? Just AM versus PM or are you going to take- 24 hours. So I'm, I'm just going to take all, I'm, I hope, I don't think I pee more than 10 times in a day. I got 10, 10 cups. Got it. So um, I'm just going to take them all uh-huh. and look at them. You don't think that adding, I mean, I don't want to make the video more work than it has to be, especially if you've already talked to him, but I feel like getting day before and day after too. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. It's just- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do a 24 hour, like, cause I think when most people think about, there are people who are like, oh no, I don't drink coffee because it dehydrates me. It's like, you think having one cup of coffee is going to dehydrate you in a matter of hours or what? Like, what do you think is going to happen? So yeah. for me, it's like, we're just going to look at it all throughout the day. Every time I pee, I'll collect it and then, and we'll look at it at the end of it and, and just look, it's stayed, my hypothesis is that it'll stay relatively consistent. I would imagine that after jujitsu, if I pee, it'll be a little bit darker just cause I'll have already sweat out a lot. And like, yeah. it's going to be hard for me to just chug coffee in the middle of jujitsu, but otherwise it'll come back. I'm excited. This, this not only works that hypothesis, this also works the hypothesis that you, uh, are not very sensitive to caffeine when it could be that you just don't drink that much. That actually, <laughs> what if you, if you drink a legitimate 10 cups of coffee during the day and think, you're yeah. like freaking out, like bouncing off the walls, like, yeah, I'm going to try and get different types of coffee too. 
right? So like, I'm going to get um, nitro cold brew from Starbucks. <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to get a shot of espresso at one point, just like, cause I want to get as many shots as I can of me getting different types of coffee. It'll make the video It'll make more the video better. too. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just me like making it in the Keurig at home. When Maybe are you doing this? Turkish coffee. I think tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you and I working out tomorrow? Because if we are, then yep. we'll, yeah. We're sweet. working out. We're so, writing. This is good. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for this. Yeah. It'll be fun. Nice, man. Yeah. That's it, man. What else is... Oh, oh. You, did, you did your TED Talk. Oh, God. Should I tell that story? <laughs> I loved it. This yeah. was... I told my the inner circle. They thought it was hilarious. You know, it's funny. You, you said something after the TED Talk that... uh to the effect of like, people don't know, like people, you don't know what you don't know, but you don't know what goes into it. It's like people hear Ted and they just think, oh, like it just must be a, a flawless, seamless, like production. Mm-hmm. And I think probably usually under normal circumstances it is. And and part of what I was saying wasn't even, it was that plus this, like, you know, a lot of people have a desire to have what they see others have Mm, mm -hmm. like oh i want uh whatever it is like i want that many followers i want that many subscribers i want to be on that platform i want to be able to do what that person's doing i know as much as them but those people don't see how the sausage is made they don't see the behind the scenes they didn't see how much time and prep went into writing the entire talk went into memorizing went into all of these things and then you know what happened when you were actually well, yes, recording I mean, it? I'll start. I'll start by saying like, uh, I spent. I it took me like probably a month to write the whole thing, going back and forth with Ted, and then it's been a year since that happened because we were going to do it a year ago because of but then COVID, mm-hmm. and then um, like three weeks ago they were just like, hey, we're going to send someone to your apartment, so you got to memorize the whole thing. I was like, oh geez, so I basically procrastinated until a week out, and then I memorized this entire ten-page speech in a week because that's what they require even for all of their talks they require you to have the manuscript get it approved and then memorize the entire thing which is very different than speaking very different than like you know making any kind of content i i always say i never give the same seminar twice the same like everything is always different i do a lot of q a and open discussion and i feed off the audience this is like i'm just talking and the time limit is 18 minutes i don't like having a time limit it's like and for me, if I if I have to memorize a speech and I like sort of deviate from the line a little bit, then my mind sort of is like, well, wait, you screwed something up. And then I, it doesn't go well with my brain. It's like, if, I feel like if I'm going to do something, it has to be as I wrote it, That which is why I think I just like going off the cuff for most of my talks because I just, I don't have to plan anything. Mm-hmm. I know what I talk about and I can talk about it for hours, but there's like 18 minute time limit. So they're like, all right, we're going to send this videographer to your apartment. And this is, I don't know this videographer. I've never met him before. I was like, okay, cool. He comes over. <laughs> his guy, his name is Barris. He's from Turkey. And this guy, like, super odd, like super, super odd. And um, he's got like his like eyes like are bulging out of his head. And uh, I'm like, okay, like, what's up, man? Welcome, come into my home. I've never met you before, but come on in. And um, without going all into the excruciating details, we go into the first take. And just for whatever it's worth, it's it's. Barris, this Turkish guy I've never met before in my apartment, right in front of me. I have a small New York apartment. Like he's right in front of me with the camera with a, a bright light shining in my face. Hang on, hang on. Before the first take, you know, Jordan's a really good person and like makes people feel welcome and, and talks to them. And like you were you were talking to him and it came out that you had coached Gary. Oh, he freaked out. <laughs> He freaked out. He was like, Gary's the reason I'm here. I love that man. I'd do anything to meet him. Like just like going off. And he went from like pretty quiet when he first walked in to just like over the top. It looked like he was just on meth. Yeah. It's like going crazy. <laughs> and um, and so that whole that happens. And then we set up the camera and then we have to get the TED organizers on a Zoom call so they can make sure that it fits the TED requirements for the talk. So the TED organizers are on the Zoom call. Barris is here setting up the camera with the light right in front of me. And I'm sort of like going through the speech in my head, just like I, I feel comfortable comfortable and confident in that I'd memorized it. So in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to do one take and be done. One take and done. It'll be about 17 minutes. My talk is about 17 minutes. I'll be out. So I'm about like 14 minutes into my talk and I'm like, yeah, I'm crushing it. This is it. Like it'll be one take and done. Get this guy out of here. We'll be good to go. And at about 14 minutes in, the light that he had shining on me just went off. 
And the TED organizer was like, oh, we got to stop. We got to stop. And Barris was like, oh, sorry, sorry. It wasn't plugged in properly. Sorry, I fixed it now. I was like, okay. Like, I was a little bit upset, but I was like, all right, it's, it's a mistake. It happens. No big deal. So then we get going again. I'm about like 10 minutes into my second take and like talking for 14 minutes for 10 minutes straight, like trying to, like, it's tough. And it's not just talking like monotone. It's like, I'm trying to be like- You're giving a TED talk. Try, yeah, trying to give yeah. a talk. And- uh and about 10 minutes in, he Barris, again, sitting like a foot and a half in front of me, just starts cracking his knuckles, like crack, crack, like super loud. And I'm trying to block it out in my head. I'm trying just like, don't just keep going. But I I, I screw up because I, I can't think about, I can't stop thinking about him cracking his knuckles. So I don't say anything because I'm like, all right, he's got to be done cracking his knuckles now. They've got to be all finished. So now I'll do another take. So we're already about like 30 minutes into me just talking. So take a little break, start again. I get about 10 minutes again and he starts cracking his knuckles again. And I have like a conniption in my head. I'm like, I stop. And I'm like, Barris, could you not crack your knuckles? And he goes, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't know you could hear that. Sorry. And, uh, and so then I go into another take and I get about like eight, 10 minutes in again. And then he starts fidgeting like crazy again. And he's like a foot and a half in front of me. And I'm trying to just look at the camera, but there's a 27 year old Turkish dude just fidgeting right behind the camera. So he's looking around, looking at the computer, looking at his phone. And I mess up again. I'm like, Hey, Barris, like, let me just give you this chair so you can sit down in this chair. Wait, hang on. When you said you either said something about cracking the knuckles or fidgeting. Yeah. I was going to skip. I said, after the, the, I said the thing about the knuckles, he was like, what do you do when you're like, you're speaking in public with someone's making noise? And I almost lost my shit. I, I was like, well, Barris, when I'm speaking in public, I'm not memorizing a speech with a camera right in front of my face. Like I'm talking with the audience. So it's not a big deal. He was like, oh, okay. Okay. I thought it wouldn't be a problem. Like, but just to kind of have him give you like attitude in oh. that situation. <laughs> so then... I have him sit down on the chair. I'm like, okay, this is going to be fine. We're like 45 minutes in, 50 minutes into filming, take after take after take. Start going again, 10 minutes in. He starts fidgeting again, like going moving all around. The chair is moving. I'm hearing the chair. Like, I'm like, sit still. So finally, I stop in the middle of the take and I'm like, Barris, go sit on the couch in the living room so I can't see you. And the TED organizers think that's hilarious. <laughs> Because they're on the call. They're on the call. They're watching the whole thing. And and afterwards, they were super embarrassed about what he was doing. But they think it's hilarious. I was like, Barris, go sit in the corner. And Barris is like, okay, okay. Uh, but first, can I have some snacks? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, you want snacks now? So then I was like, what do you want? He was like, uh, do you have chips, tortilla chips? I was like, I've got popcorn, Barris. He was like, okay, okay. So I get a bowl. Because I know if I give him the bag of popcorn, he's going to be crunkling the bag the whole time. So I pour a bowl of popcorn and sit him, set him up by the couch. And I start going to the next take. And I get like 12 minutes in. And then all of a sudden, I hear just him chewing the popcorn. I'm, and I lose my mind. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So basically, I filmed for three hours straight. I got one okay take like that I was not proud of. I was not happy about it. Um, got Barris out of the apartment. And, and then I speak with the TED organizers. They were like, Hey, we're really sorry about that. Like your talk was really good. I was like, listen, I have a camera here. I have light here. I have a microphone here. Can I do it on my own? They're like, yeah, totally fine. So I filmed it all the next day. I got it done in one take. It was good, but yeah, it was a mess. And then I found out the TED organizers were like, yeah. And then Barris invoiced us for an extra $200 because he's had to stay for another hour. I'm like, then I'm going to invoice him for the snacks that he took. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Just a mess. Unbelievable. Yeah. But I'm glad it's done. But it, to the point that you were making about people saying, I want that, I want that, like I having now done it, it's not up yet. Granted, it's not up yet on their YouTube or anything, but having a TED talk, I don't think is going to change my career in any way, shape or form. Like if it at the best it does is makes people say, oh, cool. He had a TED talk, but it's not going to do anything to take my career to the next level at all. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's important because I've gotten a lot of people being super nice and congratulating me. Ah, I'll have a Ted talk one day. I wish I could have a tech talk. I'm like, it's a good goal to strive for, but just understand that the Ted talk, I don't think will change my life at all. It, yeah. I think all the benefit that I got from the Ted talk is 
learning the process of doing it, reading the book about TED Talks, learning about how to how to make a better speech, spending hours and hours writing it. Like I became a better writer because of it. I became a better speaker because of it. But like the actual talk on their YouTube, I don't think it's going to make a difference. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. And people do think that there's like, oh, once I get this thing, or if I could just have this opportunity, then I'd yeah. be good. Then I'd be set. Whereas it really is just love of the process and continuous effort over time that that is what like that's the foundation of what building is i also think that people a lot of times for example people would like to have a ted talk for example so that they can post on instagram that they're having a ted talk it's like that's fine and it's great and it, it felt wonderful that people were supportive but it didn't change anything like and I think that's what's important to understand. And, and for it's funny because this is going to go down a completely different rabbit hole, but it's one of the reasons why I think uh, so many people are getting married like so early and so young and why like I think divorce rates are, are so high because I think people literally are doing things like getting engaged and married so that they can get a lot of likes on social media as opposed to them being like, hey, I really want to spend my life with this person because they see someone else getting married and them getting a lot of likes. It's like, Oh, I want to have a crazy wedding. I want to get married so I can get that. I yeah. think people are doing things for likes on social media because they want the likes as opposed to like, is this actually the right move for my life? Yeah, I, I see that too. Absolutely. And have for a number of years now at this point. Yeah. Um, there are two places I kind of wanted to take that. I'm going to go with the, the one that's going to be completely out of left field for for almost everyone listening, which is you talk about like, basically doing it for status or doing it for the appearance mm. that that you are whatever successful that you're revered based on what you are posting right that's so so for us and i think for everyone listening knows that that doesn't speak to you and i mm-hmm. as individuals Something that Gary is so good at is regardless of what speaks to him as an individual, he's really good at seeing consumer behavior objectively. Yeah. Like yep. whether or not he agrees with it or disagrees with it, where are the trends? How are people actually behaving? The, you know, the majority of people, not everyone, which is part of this big bet of his on NFTs. Okay. Yep. And uh, so when he first brought this up to me, probably two weeks ago at this point. NFTs? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, what is that? And he explained it to me and I didn't really understand. And then he, he told me to go to a, a link that had some NFT art on it, which is digital art. And I, I looked at it. I was like, <laughs> I laughed. That was my reaction. I was like, what is this? He's like- Because it wasn't like art that looked- Amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, art is subjective, right? But it didn't, you know, these these pieces of digital art were going for, you know, I think at that point maybe t- in the ten to twenty thousand dollar range per piece was the the least expensive, and they went up to like you know hundreds of thousands per piece, and there were a limited number of pieces on this website. But I was like, f- first of all, you can just copy and uh, screenshot it yeah you can screenshot it and he was like but you don't own it and i was like well what what does the owner get that the person who screenshots it doesn't get he's like the owner gets to say that they own it i was like who cares and that's where he brought back he's like what would a lot of people pay for a blue check mark oh yeah and and in my mind because i'm not great at consumer behavior i was like well like I wouldn't pay anything for a blue check mark. I don't think I deserve a blue check mark. I don't make content on social media. So why do I need to be a verified content? Creator? But like, you know, I guess there are people who would pay money to have a blue check mark because that makes them perceived as better in the eyes of other people. Mm. And and that's one of his theses on NFTs in general. Um, that is proof of ownership of something cool is a flex or is mm-hmm. like a, a a show-off move, especially because he sees the internet maturing, combining with VR into, into future humans or us in the future spending way more time online and in like a VR, you know, he's like, you can hang your NFT art in your VR world where you're hanging out. And VR is virtual reality. Yep. And, and I'm it, it blowing my mind, but like it just, when you were talking about people really want that yeah. 
that's where my mind went. It's just that I still can't get over the people could just screenshot it. Like, but when you ask them like, well, what do they get that the other person doesn't? It's like, I actually do wonder like, what do they get in terms of physically? How do you know that they own it? I mean, so let me ask you this. Why is a print of the Mona Lisa worth so much less than the actual Mona Lisa? Because it's the real thing. Yeah. But how, but how do you know? Uh, so, so, you know, and, and that's where this blockchain technology comes in. So NF, most NFTs are built on, so I am no expert in this whatsoever. And I'm just going to stumble through this the best I can to put it in layman's terms. So don't beat me up if, if you are an expert, but uh, Bitcoin is a form of, is a is a digital currency quote unquote on the blockchain okay there are other um you know i guess they're not all currencies but we'll call it a currency on blockchain and one of them is ethereum okay and ethereum is um something that is there's a fixed amount of ethereum produced per year i think Got it's it. 18 million i'm not positive on that but you can you can buy ethereum right now you can buy one ether for roughly $1,500. Okay. And that's gone up a lot over the last six to 12 months. I think it actually was up a lot several years ago, went way up, came back down, but there's a lot of volatility in these, in these digital currencies is what we'll call them. Um, but with, with Ethereum, you can buy this NFT art and the, the technology exists where every transaction is proven out. There's there's a backlog of every single transaction okay. that, that can't be interfered with. So you ask, how do you know who owns it? Like yeah. the person who screenshotted it versus the person who bought it. On the blockchain, there is proof of the owner. Got it. Because you can see every transaction, date, amount, uh, who who bought, who sold, etc. Got it. Okay. Okay. Which which is and and I you know we've talked about investing on here in the past. I've put a little bit of like kind of fun money that way just because you never I'm, know. I'm, I'm, yeah. You never know, you know, when Gary recommends something I've, <laughs> after the whole sports cards thing, like I'm listening to what he says. He told me to get into Facebook in 2014, 2015. Like he's a smart dude, obviously, but, um, you know, I still have my money in, in ETFs. And this is if, if it goes to zero and if I lose everything I've invested in NFT art. I'm completely okay with that. It's yeah. more of just a fun, like, see what happens. And the upside potential is huge. The upside's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm not going to sit here and, because he has said, you know, invest in projects you believe in, invest in things that you like, you're either supporting the artist, you think is like really, really cool. Like, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest art guy. You know, ISTJ here, I'm pretty like, you know, I'm not, I'm not. Art isn't a huge passion of mine. Mm -hmm. And so this is like a very, this is an investment play for me. What do you think about Bitcoin? I get a lot of people asking me why I'm not investing. And I say, well, my financial advisor, Mike Vacanti <laughs> says I should. Like, what do you think about Bitcoin? Well, here's what I think about most things in life that I don't have time to, let me give you an example of something I had time to dive into and, and like really understand the nuts and bolts of from a first principles perspective and that's nutrition for fat loss mm -hmm. like i spent years reading everything i could get my hands on to fully understand as much as i could in that realm i haven't done any of that for bitcoin mm -hmm. or for most things what what i do do in things that i'm not going to spend time on fully understanding is what are the people who i respect, admire, trust the most, who I think are very smart, close to that, what are they saying about it? And uh, and like when Gary, uh, Chamath, Mark Cuban, like when a lot of these guys are, are all saying NFT art, like NFTs are going to be huge, I, I pay, pay attention, attention there. Got it. Um, with Bitcoin, Peter Thiel has been long Bitcoin. Um, you know, there've been a lot of really smart people who are a big fan of Bitcoin. And Is that the guy who wrote Die With Zero? That's Bill Perkins. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. Um, no, Peter Thiel, uh, Peter Thiel was very early in PayPal. Uh, if, did he, he might've been a founder of PayPal or a co-founder, very early investor in Facebook, like really smart guy. 
Um, what did he write? No, Peter Thiel wrote zero to one. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. It, got it. Okay. That's where. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people who I respect are long Bitcoin. And so over the last, you know, six to 12 months, I've put a little bit of money into Bitcoin. And the reason being is I think of it like digital gold. Uh, it's a hedge against the US government printing enormous amounts of dollar more than we already have weakening the US dollar creating a lot of inflation mm -hmm. so you know let's just say we double the money supply overnight um if there were x dollars in existence and now there's 2x dollars in existence the dollar is weaker as a result yep bitcoin isn't controlled by the government um bitcoin is quote unquote digital gold because gold is a a scarce resource that there is a limited amount of that humans have assigned value to over time. Like we just value gold because, right? Yeah. Like gold doesn't do anything. We don't build things out of gold. It's not useful, but right. it has value because we have given it value. Right. Um, Bitcoin is the same way. It's there can only be so much Bitcoin mined. I think it's 21 million is like the, the max number of coins that will exist. Um, and so putting, you know, a very, you know, I'm talking one to 2% of net worth towards Bitcoin in case almost like a bet that it could explode because, you know, for various reasons, including bad monetary policy by government. Got it. This is something I haven't understood. I might've even asked you before, but I'm an ESTP and I forget. Um, <laughs> let's say the government prints more money, mm -hmm. say they double whatever we have, where does that money go? Like, how does that money get into circulation? Like then are they just, they're not well, giving it to a business owner. It's been like, here's more money. Well, they're, so for example, and <laughs> I, I might know a little bit more than you on this, so I'll do my best, but not an expert at all. Um, for the, the stimulus packages for COVID. Yep. That is money that the Federal Reserve printed uh, and, and the government distributed to, you know, uh, some of it was to citizens of the United States, right? I right. think I think $600 per person early on. Yeah. And then I think there was another one more in the last several months. Um, but there are other places that it went because in that second, I don't know if it was second or third, I really have been not checked out of of day-to-day -day stuff and current events. I'm not really a big current event guy in general, but <laughs> <laughs> I was never really checked in. Uh, but there was in that stimulus package bill, there were a lot of other moving parts too. Like, right. like we're giving 10 million to this country so that they can mm. do this program or okay. like you know we're giving 16 million to this country so that they can do this with it yep um so yeah that's what have one way they Th could distribute the money yes got it okay i've just never understood that it's like yeah we're well, gonna print more money and i'm always like well who's getting it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going in my bank account. <laughs> like, or they're not handing it out on the street and bags. so here's like, another example remember the bailouts in uh in 2008 after you know like the the big auto companies in the u.s got yep. bailouts yep um it, too big to fail was like a, a slogan back then because we didn't want our our u.s auto companies to fail I mean, we being the government, I guess. Uh, I'm I'm not positive. I'm 96 percent sure that we printed money. That makes and, sense. And that's you know we weren't we weren't increasing taxes to create more revenue for the government to then distribute to right, the right. auto companies. Like I assume there was a bill that passed that printed money to give to these companies to bail out the auto companies. That's and that's where I can start to see how maybe like politics. And business start to mix where like businesses mm. are like, we'll offer you this much money or like politi mm -hmm. politicians are like, we'll support your business, whatever it is, like business and politics starting to mix, like uh -huh. people uh -huh. starting to do things for their endorsements or for getting money. It's like, as opposed to what they believe, that's where I can yeah. see that starting to mix for yeah. sure. Yeah. Gets real murky. Yeah. Yeah. So murky that I don't even want to go digging around. I'd rather just focus on things 
that are within my control as an individual and try to make good there. Yeah. I remember there was a period of time where I was like, I want to go into politics. And now I'm like- What period was that? Several years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Several- When I- Because- I mean, number I have a Jewish mother. And when I was a kid, she was always like, you could be the first Jewish president. And I was like, oh, maybe I could be. <laughs> but like, then I, I got into fitness and like, that's what I really loved. But several years ago, I really started getting into just like learning more about it, just educating myself on it more. And then I was like, that's when I was like, you know what, maybe like I could make a difference in all this. Maybe like, because I was really passionate about it and I saw things that I, I didn't like. And then the more I got to learn about it, the more I saw from it. I was like, man, if I have anxiety from social media and the fitness industry, (laughs) there is no way that I would ever want to go into politics. It's just, I I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a way to get to the top in either side without doing dirty stuff. Yeah. It's just impossible. Yeah. Like it's impossible to get to the top on either side without doing things you don't believe in, without having some real skeletons in your closet. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to talk about calories. I'm going to talk about deadlifts. I'm going to help people lose weight. I'm going to help them get more. I don't even want to step a toe into politics. Because once you do that, you got a real target on your back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one great reason not to. It's also, yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) I didn't know that you were kicking around that route. Yeah. Even for a brief amount of time. I I, I I didn't take any steps towards it other than just continuing to educate myself on, on, in politics and stuff. But mm-hmm. I, what, well, and, and there's like, you see pathways to, uh, you know, I think t- 25 years ago, the pathway to becoming a, a, a politician who makes an impact was very different than it is now because yeah. you were, you were drawing in the lines. You were, there was a system, there was a way to do it. And now, I mean, look at Trump for one and look at like, an AOC type figure who through whatever means, you know, blew up on social media and like, yeah. yeah. You're like, Oh, if I'm, if I'm just kingpin social media on the fitness side, maybe I could just transfer over to. <laughs> well, Gary's always said, I remember early on, uh-huh. Gary always said, he was like, if he could run for president, he can't cause he wasn't born in the U S mm-hmm. he's like, if he could, he said, if he ran for president, he would win. Yeah. And I fully believe it. Like, I very, very much believe that just based on how good he is at using social media and how good he is at at saying the right things and at, at getting people to to believe in him and believe in themselves, like there's no question. I think if The Rock ran for president, The Rock would win. Like you think so? Absolutely. Like I think we we've we've surpassed the we've passed the Rubicon. We've crossed the Rubicon, if you will, in terms of if you are have a powerful enough presence in the world, mm-hmm. basically through social media, mm-hmm. you stand a real chance. And I think we're starting to see there are a few politicians who I see both on the right and the left who are using social media very well. The vast majority of them don't. The vast majority of politicians are still, I think, in the like, old world. In the old world. Yeah. But I think we're starting to see the younger generation coming up, seeing just straight up campaigns on Instagram just with great video editing and like super funny like they're being much more down to earth where like they're they're showing who they are they're, they're either showing who they are or who or they want people to think who they are not even people but you know the culture the yeah. the yeah. younger people yeah so it's very brand it's branding it's 100% branding that's exactly right good branding yeah good branding <laughs> <laughs> yep so I'm writing in Mike Vacanti for the next presidential election. Do not. <laughs> do If you are still listening to this episode, do not do what Jordan just said. Please. <laughs> oh, man. What else we got? Anything else? Anything else we want to jam on here? By the way, this is a completely fun episode. If you didn't listen to the last <laughs> 40 two minutes in, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we did a, we did a, a pyramid of... It wasn't how to be a great coach. It was what? Was it how to get more online coaching clients? How to get more online coaching clients. Yep. Two-part episode with the pyramid of importance on on how to get more coaching clients. So if you did not listen to that two-parter, that would be a great uh, one-two punch follow-up to this fun episode to to get you some some more meat. But hopefully you have enjoyed listening to this one. want to give a, a huge shout out to everyone who joined the mentorship during mm, the launch. Let's go. We were supposed to do that at the beginning of the episode and just completely forgot. Um, 
we had a really, really exciting launch. Every time Mike and I have launched the mentorship, we get really excited about it because we know it's sort of in the same way, like if you get new online coaching clients or new new clients in general, you get excited because you know you can actually make a change. You know you can help them. You know like you're, if, if they do what you say, they're going to change their life, lose weight, get stronger, be more confident. And over what is three years now doing the mentorship and every year we do it, like we're seeing people who are just really great coaches becoming more confident coaches, becoming more mm. competent coaches, taking on online coaching clients, putting themselves out there on social media and like really coming into their own as a coach and establishing themselves as a, an authority in the industry and helping a lot, a lot of clients. So huge congrats to everyone who got in during the launch. And uh, we're very excited to see how you do this coming year. Yeah. Massive shout out. We had our first uh, Q&A post-launch last week. Two-hour live Q&A. <laughs> Two-hour live Q&A. We, we got another one coming up this week on Thursday. But um, in that Q&A, so many good questions. Yeah, yeah. And such good energy, right? Like like so many people in there, people mixing it up in the live, in yeah. the comments during the live. And it was just really fun. It makes it fun. And uh, yeah, so we're pumped for everyone who joined in this this last launch. Yeah. That's one of the things about the mentorship that I think is is the most the most important aspect of it is the the Q and A's where we're all in a group setting doing it. We have all the courses, but one thing I noticed from from for example, if you're working with a one on one coaching client in fitness, you don't want to give them like a million different things to do, and you don't want to have like a ton of confusing information. It's just like here's your workout, here's your nutrition. You communicate with me. That's it. It's just these simple things. Mm. And with the the Q and A's, I think that's the, we have all the courses, we have everything that they need, but that's where people really like, they get to sit down, they hang out with us and whatever questions they have, we ask them, we, we answer them one by one. And uh, as we were saying in the, in the last live, like the people who've been on all of the live Q and A's are the ones who've just dominated their business. People who've, who've showed up week after week, month after month, they come to the Q and A's, they ask a bunch of questions. Like I'm just thinking of Eric right off the bat, like mm -hmm. Eric Friedlander, just, mm -hmm. he asks like 10 questions every time. And he's no just, repeats. No, like they're all good. They're questions. great questions. They're insightful. And what's cool to see also with Eric is uh, the evolution of his questions from when he first started to now, yeah. like the evolution yep. of questions from like, from the beginning, and I don't remember verbatim, but like the questions of like how to get more likes and how, like from that type of beginner type question to the more advanced question of, well, how do I, how do I help my client who might be struggling with this specific issue? How do I speak to them? How do I phrase it better? Like just the evolution of a coach, mm -hmm. which is very cool to see. And I think as a, as a coach, you understand the evolution of a client, but now it's, I think a lot of the coaches who are trying to build their business, they don't realize like you're a client, like you're also a student and you'll have your own evolution as well. Yeah. 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 So that's it. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for every time we, we miss a week or two weeks, we get people messaging us saying, where's the podcast. And we really appreciate that a lot. It's, we love doing this. We're excited that uh, we're back together now in person. It's a different feel. Yeah. This is great episode. Weekly episodes coming your way. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week. Have a good one.